Do you want to talk about books? Yeah. Hello, and welcome to A Well-Read Life. This is a place to share stories about good books and the reading life. I'm your host, Beth Jamison. Join me as I meander through my reading journey and discover the books that make up a well-read life. Welcome back. Today I have my dear friend Whitney Borowski on the podcast. You may remember Whitney from my episode with her about the Dean's Watch, one of my absolute favorite Elizabeth Gooch books, and it was also one of Whitney's. And today we're talking about the Southern classic, Cold Sassy Tree by Olive Ann Burns. Equal parts, humor and heartbreak, and a wonderful picture of life in the small town South at the turn of the century. So I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as we enjoyed recording it and discussing it. Whitney is just always a delight to talk to. She just is such a kind, peaceful, and calming presence, and she has so much wisdom and insight into novels, and I love to discuss them with her. Whitney, welcome back. For those not familiar with the story of Cold Sassy Tree, can you give a brief summary of the novel? Sure. It's so good to be back here. I had such a fun time last time. So thank you very much for inviting me. Love having you back. Yes. Um, Cold Sassy Tree, this takes place in the summer of 1906, a very hot summer. And it's told from the perspective of a 14-year-old boy, Will Tweedy, whose grandmother has died three weeks previously. Will's grandfather, Rucker Blakesley, is a widower of just three weeks, and he elopes with the milliner, Miss Love Simpson, whom he employs at his general store, Um, The story opens with this shocking event in rural, cold, sassy Georgia and gallops along from one shocking, gossip-inducing event to another. And amid the drama between the members of the Blake, Slee, and Tweedy families, the debut of the first automobile in Cold Sassy takes place, causing even more excitement. We're introduced to a cast of memorable characters along the way. Whitney, I love how you said that it went from one shocking event to another, because when I read it, it was so much like that. And it reminded me very much of some of just hearing the stories from my dad relating growing up in a small town in Georgia up until he was maybe 12 or so and hearing other relatives stories. So this reminds me of just those those tall tales and those <laughs> shocking tales that you get in the small town South. They're hilarious. Uh, And also sometimes very, very shocking. Whitney, when did you first read Cold Sassy Tree? And what is it about the story that initially drew you in and made it particularly endearing to you? I don't remember exactly when I first read it, but it has to be at least 10 years ago. I don't remember. My kids were really young at the time. Um, I was not raised a Southern girl, so I was born in Montana. So this was like a particularly eye-opening story for me about Southern culture. And I had lived here a while, but still you don't realize things until you are actually maybe reading someone and they lay it out for you. Yes. So I remember being very captivated by the Southern vernacular and the way all of Ann Burns writes everything. Yes. I remember the humor because forever after I couldn't remember all the story, but I knew it was funny. (laughs) And then I 
also fell in love with Will Tweedy, that main yeah. character. He's like smack in the middle of boyhood and manhood and so many struggles that yes. are really endearing. So Yes. This was a first-time read for me, and I have told Whitney that I had a copy, and I got it at a book sale that they put on every year in our town, and you can get free books and up to 100, and I found this hardback copy of it and pulled it off the shelf, but then I was paring back my bookshelves, and I I thought, well, I'm not going to read this. I just didn't think that I would, and so I, I sadly sold it. But then I have bought another copy. So this was a first time read for me, but it's a reread for you. And I love rereading books for the fresh perspective I have each time I read it. Whitney, did you find this to be true when you reread this book? And what about the book jumped out to you differently this time? Well, I have to confess that having read that book so long ago, I had a really <laughs> fresh perspective. I didn't remember most of the plot. Yeah, I love when that happens. Yes. I, I couldn't remember how it ended. I couldn't remember much about it, but I knew that it was funny. And that's why yeah. I wanted to read it again. So this time, three different things stuck out to me. And one of them really was how spot on Olive mm. Ann Burns was with the Southern dialect. The way that she spells her words, you can hear yes. every strange twang yes. of everyone's little yes. bit of their voice. So that I thought was really, really, um, she did an exceptional job of she that. Fantastic. Then, yes. The development of Grandpa Blakesley's character mm-hmm. was It might not be so much a development as like an uncovering as the story Mm -hmm. goes on of his character. All of this through the eyes of Will Tweedy. Something I also noticed that we as readers are completely dependent on Will to understand any of these characters. And the story, when he's telling it, he's eight years older than when it takes place. Mm -hmm. So we have a really young 22-year-old narrator. Mm -hmm. And I found myself wondering what would many of the characters have been like if if they'd been cast in a different light Mm -hmm. by a different character other than someone so young, you know, Mm -hmm. would they be quite so shocking as maybe they were to him? And anyway, I really was captivated by Grandpa Mm -hmm. Blakesley's character. And then Mm -hmm. that third thing that jumped out was how the story was so humorous and entertaining, going from one dramatic, funny event to another until about page 300 when it comes to this screeching halt. And we Mm -hmm. are, are met with Grandpa and Mrs. Love having, or Miss Love having this heart-to-heart conversation Mm -hmm. where they reveal all of their past to each other in the middle of the night. Mm -hmm. And up to that point, it was so funny and Mm -hmm. it was really lighthearted and you could kind of keep it in this Mm -hmm. part of your brain where Mm -hmm. it wasn't something you had to grapple with. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden we have to start deciding on characters and their motives and what do we really think? We Mm -hmm. kind of have to reckon everything at that Mm -hmm. point. And something interesting I thought that Olive Ann Burns did at that point when they were having that particular conversation was she kept Will's thoughts to himself and she made us decide for ourselves what to think about what was going on. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And up till then, we could see it all through his eyes and he Mm -hmm. kind of sorted it out for us, you know, but at this moment that was so pivotal, we had to figure Mm -hmm. it out for ourselves. That was very genius, I thought, Mm -hmm. of her. And Grandpa Blakesley is this larger than life character. (laughs) And so he's just this humorous guy at first and you have this sweet relationship between him and Will, but you don't realize like you said, I love that, Whitney, about it's Will's perspective. And so 
he is uncovered as the story goes on and we we come to know him more. But that was, yes, that that chapter was hard. It was mm-hmm. sad. And then there's another chapter that comes later where it's it's exactly what you said. You have this humor, 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 and all of a sudden you have this heartbreak. And growing up in the South all my life, you this is very true mm-hmm. to hearing anyone's stories that came before you. You have these hilarious stories. And then you have this very heartbreaking things that happened in the midst of it. But it is amazing. We're going to go talk about storytelling a little bit more later. But it is amazing to see how they are able to survive with humor along with all of, of the, the grief that comes with in life. Because there are some very hard things that happen it, later in the book. But I don't, I don't think it's anything that's going to keep you from reading it and oh, loving no. the story. Yeah. No, it- yeah, sinks deeper into you. Yeah. I think. Yeah. yeah, it keeps you from dismissing it as mm-hmm. just this something that's just trite. It's it's very very well done. I, I wish that she had lived longer to write more, yes. and that is is very sad because the author died of cancer. She was writing the sequel. I was reading today, and she wasn't able to finish the sequel. I did go. I went online and tried to like see if I could read the first chapter to see what happened with the characters because I just had to know with, with some of them how they're left. But I wish that she would have been able to continue and and write more more stories, delightful stories. Even a book of short stories I would know, have been so fun. I know. Yeah. I think yeah. I read somewhere that these are a lot. A lot of these were inspired from stories she heard. From her childhood. I bet. Yep. You can't really make this no, up. Yeah. No. And I mean, it's so true. Like I was, I've been saying, it is so spot on to Southern stories and hearing just people's lives who came before you. My dad was talking about that even today. He's like, or my parents are visiting. It was this weekend. He was saying, I don't even know if it was a tall tale or if this really happened, but this is something that they would say in this small town that he lived in. So Whitney, there are some delightfully eccentric characters in the novel we've been talking about this a little bit. And this is a true hallmark of Southern fiction. And for anyone who's lived in the South for a while, like I've been talking about true life, this is the, you, you will find characters like this. Whitney, who is your favorite character in the book and which character pleasantly surprised you by their growth? I gave these questions to Whitney beforehand and I wrote to her, I was not sold on the character of Miss Love at first, but she did grow on me. But I want Whitney to talk about it first, and then we'll we'll talk we'll dive into the character of Miss Love a little bit. <laughs> mm-hmm. My favorite character is, of course, Will Tweedy. Mm-hmm. So to see this small town through his fourteen year old eyes, all the drama mm-hmm. and gossip, the development of his love life, mm-hmm. mostly because of Miss Love's oh love goodness, life. I know. Yes, in great part thanks to her for right. hers. That near death experience on the yes. train trestle and how that helped him grow in various yes. ways. The way he takes his whip. Things like a man, even though, you know, he knows he earns them, mm-hmm. but he would not trade the fun he had for those whippings. I think that's very endearing. <laughs> Let's see the way he became Miss Love's confidant and therefore yes. became our eyes into her character yes. because without him, we wouldn't understand mm-hmm. her. And the way he's ordered around by everyone is really funny, but also it's genius because that yes. gives us eyes on every one of these families and all of the different places in the story too. Yes. And all those people. Will is my favorite, of course. Yes. I did really like Miss Love. She, um, I found it hard to believe that she had set her sights on grandpa 
before Granny had died. I couldn't believe that right, about her, yeah. but everyone else believed that, right? Especially Will's mom and Aunt Loma, <laughs> and well, really all cold sassy right. believed that, and partly probably because we're privy to her conversations with Will where she could be open and honest yes. and confide in him, we finally understand that she's not this mm-hmm. horrible person they make her out to be. And also, once she told Will that she had married Grandpa for a home, yes. she really found a place in my heart, and I couldn't fault her for that. She said, on page 133, she said, I'd quit praying for a husband two years ago, Will, but I've prayed all my life for a home of my own. And for this, she patted the sounding board of the piano. That that probably was the moment where she worked into my heart. Yeah. And I really also, my sympathy went out to little Lightfoot McClendon. She was, it was really pity probably more than Mm -hmm. sympathy, but um, she was a sad little girl only because Mm -hmm. of her station in life. She had Mm -hmm. so much potential, but uh, Will really was infatuated with her flaxen hair and her beautiful (laughs) eyes. And anyway, yeah, she, she also had my heart a bit too. So the light, the character of Lightfoot McClendon, is it McClendon? Yes. Is that right? Mm-hmm. She is a mill child. And those not familiar with the South, there were, of course, a lot of mills, textile mills and, and such down in the South. And we really get from this book, which I was not aware of, because the town I'm from, it was a mill town. And I had no idea the stigma that was put on the mill children and the mill people. But you get this in this book that there is definitely a lot of prejudice against them. They are looked down upon as very, very low class. And it's it's just, it is heartbreaking. You do, you do get that. And I, I was just not aware of that history. And it, it just makes it very sad. You just, mm-hmm. you feel the sadness of that. But back to Miss Love, I that was probably the part I felt too, Whitney, is when she said that she wanted a home because in the beginning of the novel, the grandfather comes in to, to Will's mother and his aunt and tells them that he's marrying three weeks after the grandmother dies, this granny that Will also loved. Mm-hmm. He is very close to both of his grandparents. And he thought that his grandfather adored his grandmother. And here his grandfather, three weeks later, just marries this beautiful woman in town. So I was at first, you know, thinking this hussy. <laughs> <laughs> then you get her her side of it. And to know that she was so longing for a home and how that's a desire of anyone to have a home. and to have that security. She she couldn't have that security at the time as a single woman. So you can't fault her for that. No, either. you can't. Yes. You can't. And she was so respectful of Will's grandmother, even within all of that. So you never feel like his grandmother is is being just forgotten. Mm-hmm. That there is definitely a a remembrance of her and a respect and an honoring of her by Miss Love. And so I think that helps mm-hmm. you yes. warm up to her character a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And this wasn't just anything that I sent Whitney to discuss, but in the first few chapters, Will is talking about his grandmother and he's talking about her dying and he has the whole grieving period within that three weeks. And that's very well done. And it's a beautiful portion on grief. So it, it doesn't, again, doesn't weigh down the story. There's still humor within it. But I would say that it's, it is really good to read the book for that, that particular part as well. 
All right, Whitney, we are coming to one of the hallmarks of Southern culture in the novel, which is gossip and the horrible insidious nature of it, which Ollivander Burns paints the hypocrisy and culture of gossip in cold, sassy Georgia with a sharp eye. But she chooses to do it with humor, something we've been talking about all along, which makes it not off-putting. You don't feel like she's sermonizing to you, but she's exposing just the horrible nature of gossip so well so that we can see it for what it is. So I thought we could discuss that for a bit, Whitney. And what are your thoughts on what Olive Ann Burns is doing here? It's an interesting thing what Olive Ann Mm -hmm. Burns is doing because she's not only showing the damage and confusion Mm -hmm. that gossip causes, but she's also using many pieces of gossip to move the story Mm -hmm. along, to keep the plot going. Um, So the gossip is very hurtful to Mm -hmm. Miss Love Simpson. And I just couldn't help but wish Mama would take a minute to get to know her and find out if all that gossip were true and fit figure out how does she fit Mm -hmm. in our family now and maybe not be quite so mean to her but like nearly everyone she bases Mm -hmm. reality on gossip and Mm -hmm. that causes a lot of hurt and confusion i thought it was interesting miss effie bell tate the 89 year old neighbor (laughs) to grandpa she is an excellent example of a character whose purpose is to spread gossip yes yes and also to encourage scandal and drama grandpa doesn't give her a second thought but miss love and will and his family are always worried about what miss effie bell tate saw and who she'd tell straight Mm -hmm. away because she did that every time she went and told someone she had that cake ready yes. to, to bring the offering of cake so that she could gather gossip and spread it around to the town. Right. I don't think that was a fair trade. No. I don't. <laughs> oh, I was thinking that because Olive Ann Burns focuses on gossip as a main means of story development and features it so heavily as part of this small town, it leaves the reader wondering what would the story be like without the gossip, without that scandal of grandpa mm-hmm. marrying Miss Love before Granny was cold in the grave? Mm-hmm. Would there be a story? Mm-hmm. I don't know if there yeah. would. Yeah, yeah. It, it's instrumental in telling mm-hmm. the story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Definitely. But I like how she uses it. And again, doesn't doesn't make it where this is she doesn't give her approval of it. It is also interesting how gossip shapes how everyone acts because they're so afraid of scandal that they they have to act a certain way. And it's just very much a very in some ways a very mannered society. So it is it's very interesting to see that. What yeah. also is interesting is they're worried about it, but that yeah. doesn't cause any less gossip. No. There's still so much going it's around. Gonna... It didn't change yes. anything. No. Yeah. Yeah. No, it is so, it's so interesting. But yeah, I read it and I, that seeing that within the story, I'm like, this is so much. If you are any, in any small community in the mm-hmm. South, this is so much. This, this is, is just exactly how it is. There is a Miss Effie. Tate, Belle Tate. Yes. Is that her name? That's her name. There is one of those. It's so funny. And there's, there is a funny part in in the book where she's so excited about getting the next bit of gossip because it's something that's pretty scandalous that's, mm-hmm. uh, that is happening. And she gets out of her house and is it her house slippers. She has her, is yes. that where she has her? She's so, she's so quick to get that gossip. She's got a cake ready and she's got, she's still in her house slippers. So it's just, it, it's got the humor, and like I said, but it doesn't stop it from showing what what gossip can do, how damaging it can be. But again, like Whitney said, it does drive the story. You get 
you are so immersed in Southern culture when you read this book. It is just, it's, it's astounding. Whitney, Will Tweedy and his grandparents share a close and loving relationship. Will is especially close to his grandfather, a man he's able to confide in, respect, and admire. Let's talk about the relationship of Will and his grandfather and how it changes when Miss Love enters the scene. I loved their relationship. I, I thought it was so sweet to see that grandfather, grandson, but it's almost like a father-son relationship because Grandpa Blakesley never had any sons of his own. And so Will is kind of his surrogate son, not just his grandson, but his surrogate son. And I just I just loved the betrayal of their of their relationship, how they're so close. His grandfather understands him so well, but he also doesn't let him get away with anything. So <laughs> what were he your thoughts, not. Whitney? I was thinking that the relationship between Will and grandfather is the point of this mm-hmm. story. This through that relationship, Will mm-hmm. is kind of forced to mature and grapple mm-hmm. with being left out at times or being replaced a little bit when Miss Love comes. Mm-hmm. And also at the store when he's kind of replaced by Hosey Roach, yes. that's difficult for him and he has to grow up. Like you said, Grandpa never had any sons. They had seven children mm-hmm. and only two survived and they were both girls. And so Will does fill that role mm-hmm. as son and also, he also is the helper at all times. Grandpa depends on him for helping bury grandma, you know, like yeah. nobody or granny. Nobody would help grandpa but Will. Or he didn't want anyone to no, help him he but did, Will. he didn't trust anyone else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so then when Miss Love and grandpa are first married, Will is kind of enfolded into this relationship mm-hmm. as a trusted listener and sympathizer, mm-hmm. both to Miss Love and grandpa. And he feels honored and proud when they entrust him with bits of story and surprises along the way. And he's the first one to share the surprise of their automobile purchase. He's the first <laughs> one to know. And then he's on top of the world teaching them how to drive and sharing that time with them. But once that relationship changes between grandpa and Miss Love, Will is in essence, as he says a third wheel they never completely block him out of their lives but the relationship has changed and this mostly happens during the times when will is eavesdropping on their conversations and which is essential for the reader to understand their character development but it's hard for will to take Um, but by the end of the story we can imagine will being a big brother figure for sure but also a father figure Mm -hmm. to that new baby that's on Mm -hmm. the way so yeah beautiful relationship. When I was reading it, Whitney, I, I kind of skimmed ahead and I, I got that spoiler at the end. So this is a spoiler alert that, that they, that they have this, that she's going to have a baby. Cause I would just thought that this was going to be like, um, platonic relationship throughout the whole story. So it was a little bit of a shock because in some ways I was like, but I want him to stay faithful to Granny. Mm, <laughs> I didn't want yes. anything. I didn't want there to be a. I didn't want it to be a real a real marriage. But I think that it was it was very sweet, and I was I I'm glad that she she did what she did. But it is interesting when you were talking about Will feeling displaced when there is a scene towards the end that Whitney was referring to it was one of the mill hands. Hosey Roach, who has in his 20s and he's still in high school with all the other kids because he's determined to finish school. The grandfather takes him on and hires him for the store. And Will knows immediately that this 
young man is going to show him up in every way that he's going to work harder than anybody else. And that his grandfather is going to take a lot of pride in this Hosey's work. And it's hard for Will. It's a really hard pill for him to swallow because he doesn't want to lose that with his grandfather. I think it's a little bit of a wake up call for him too. of, of wow, Hosey's going to do this and he's going to take pride in it and he's going to enjoy it and he's going to do what he's not even asked to do. And Will's only going to do what he's asked to do. So, <laughs> And maybe sometimes asked twice to do right. it. <laughs> many times, many times. But it is a very sweet and endearing relationship. And I, I love that it's so based on humor. It's so, mm-hmm. it's just so much. But again, it's that respect as well because there are a couple of times that Will has to be told what for by his <laughs> formidable grandfather. <laughs> Whitney, a good bit of the story is Will Tweedy remembering loved ones and people who he has lost. He uses storytelling to help him as he grapples with loss and grieving. I think this is one of my favorite parts of the story is that how this is woven into the story. How does Olive Ann Burns use storytelling to call attention to the sacredness of life the foibles of human nature and to cope with the grieving process. Like I said, I think this was my favorite part of the, of the book, just how storytelling is used in all of these ways. So I don't know, Whitney, what are your thoughts? Well, death is a main theme of the mm-hmm. story. Clearly um, there are countless tales told of this or that neighbor mm-hmm. who died in a strange way or just disappeared. Right. And so um, most of those stories are funny to Will. We mm-hmm. can tell that, but he does spend a lot of the story trying to understand mm-hmm. his friend Blue Jackson's death oh, and then trying to understand Granny's death. Yes. And then finally Uncle Camp and oh, Grandpa's death, both of them. It's so much for him. Yes. Um, and in all of the storytelling and remembering, he's trying to sort out who those people were, mm-hmm. like whether their motives were honest and respectable mm-hmm. or otherwise, what kind of legacy mm-hmm. they'll leave and how they fit into the reality of his life in Cold Sassy. I think the meat of this book would be missing without mm-hmm. the storytelling mm-hmm. woven throughout to bulk it up and fill in the history mm-hmm. for us and enlarge the characters for us. Mm-hmm. And and it's funny because the way that it's it's told is Will Tweedy is telling stories. It would be like if you were at a family function in the South and you have the family storyteller and they're going to tell the stories of everybody, all the things that have happened. And you get the history of the town. And, and he's so young when he's doing it. But I just read it for that part because it's it's just so beautifully done. I do want to go back to his friend's death real quickly and how he has that throughout the story. And being so young and having to deal with mul- these multiple deaths, these it's deaths that happen back to back. Mm-hmm. It's his friend has died. Not six months. Yeah, it hasn't been. Around Christmas time. Mm-hmm. It was fire fireworks. Mm-hmm. He was, and he got... What was well, it? it was called lockjaw. Right. Yes. And so I, I don't, I don't know. know you don't know. Into. He got some sort of infection after playing with um, fireworks. And so he's just he grapples with that. He grapples with his, his granny's death as well. And then just his relationship with his aunt Loma, who he just has this very contentious <laughs> relationship with. And he's always playing practical jokes on her and just really, really getting at this poor young woman because she's not much older than him. And I do love this one part. I didn't include it in in the the notes to you, Whitney, is when Loma recognizes Will's gift for storytelling. 
And I hope I don't know. I might have had this in the notes. And I hope <laughs> if I am, I'm just switch this around. Um, she recognizes, even though they have this contentious relationship, she recognizes his ability to tell stories. And she gives him a journal and tells him to start writing that he has this gift and she wants him to use it. So I appreciate not only does Olive Ann Burns really show all of these things that I said, she uses storytelling to, to show all of these things and to grapple with all of these things, but she also shows the gift that it is and when the importance of exercising that gift. So through that gift from Loma. So I'm, I'm really appreciative of that. As we've been talking about, this is a novel rife with humor, but also some very touching scenes, which we've just discussed. Whitney, do you have any favorite scenes or quotes to share from Cold Sassy Tree? I will share mine after you share yours. Oh, good. Through I some can't of mine. wait to hear. <laughs> um, one of the funniest parts I think I laughed out loud was Miss Love is talking to Will Tweedy and that's the day that she's really cleaning house and he comes over and nobody's there and so she can confide in him about why she agreed to marry grandpa and she said something that made me laugh out loud she said reading King Arthur is what made me an old maid Will I kept holding out for a hero a knight in shining armor I really thought some rich exciting man would come riding up on a white horse and rescue me from being poor and unhappy that part about reading King Arthur making so her true. an old maid I thought was hysterical yes <laughs> I just feel like that was my teenage years and probably like yes. it was a Jane Austen novel it was a King yes. Arthur yep Jane Austen is our King Arthur yes <laughs> The other part, uh, my favorite passage for sure, is Grandpa's letter to the family that he requested to be read right after he died. And it entirely sums Mm -hmm. up his character. So his thoughts, his motives, everything we understand. Mm -hmm. If I can read just a few little parts of the letter. I'd love for you to. Um, So... Will's father is going to read the letter to everyone who's gathered around the bed where grandpa has just died. Um, It says the letter was in his big sprawling hand on a long ruled sheet torn out of the store's ledger book. I copied it later word for word like grandpa had it. Please recollect the funeral I gave Miss Maddie Lou. I tried to make it a nice thank you to her for living. (laughs) Likewise, I gave camp a nice funeral. I believe God means us to stand up to suffering, not end it with a bullet. A man killing himself ain't nothing I can understand, but I can forgive it. Anyhow, I wanted Camp's funeral to say, judge not that ye not be judged. He goes on to say, I don't want no casket. It's a waste of money. (laughs) What I would really like is to be wrapped in two or three feed sacks and laid right in the ground. But that would bother you all. So use the pine box upstairs at the store that Miss Maddie Lou's coffin come in. I've been saving it. And though I just as soon be planted in the vegetable patches anywhere, I don't think anybody would ever eat what growed there after. Anyhow, take me right from home to the cemetery. Ain't no use paying birdsong for that hearse. Get Loomis to use his wagon, especially if it's hot weather. My advisement is don't waste no time. (laughs) And later he says, I would like Will Tweedy to read some Bible verses, and I want you all to sing Blessed Be the Tie That Binds. Also, I want Hoyt to read some verses I'm going to copy on another sheet and put in with this letter. The title is Be Still My Soul. I want Miss Love to know that the line in the poem about love's purest joys restored means I want her to try to find a way to be happy after I'm gone. I expect her to outlive me by some years, and I don't want her to live drab. I want folks to say, there goes Rucker Blakesley's happy, good-looking, piano-playing witter. 
I don't want them to say she sure has gone downhill since he passed. (laughs) (laughs) Now then, the funeral party. In case you all ain't noticed, the first three letters of the word funeral spells fun. (laughs) So a week or two after I die, you all have dinner on the grounds at one of the churches, or if they ain't in favor, have it at the ballpark. I don't care which. I think a Wednesday at one o'clock would be fine since the stores close anyhow. I hope everybody in cold sassy will come, white and colored. Have a happy get-together with kinfolks and old friends. Tell funny stories about me and such. I would like for you all to ask the town band and the Negro band to come play parade music and also tunes like Ta-ra-ra-boom-dee-ay and lively hymns like When They Ring Them Golden Bells. Let it be known ahead that we are going to have favors. That will bring out the crowd. But don't buy nothing that costs much. Unless it is in the cold winter time. let's set up apple bobbing and dunking booths for the children. Maybe have a shooting gallery for the men. And let's have a hog calling contest and a crowing contest. Funny things that will make folks laugh. Now you all can cry and wear black at my burying if you want to, but I don't want nobody at the funeral party to wear black or cry, either one. Don't go if you can't be pleasant. If you do go, dress up and act happy. You can cry later. So the parts of his letter, I thought they were hysterical. That That is is so exactly grandpa. That is hilarious. Those are hilarious. And I don't know if you know this, but I know this from my dad's story that on Wednesdays, and I, I hope I get this right, on Wednesdays in his small town, that's when they closed down. They closed the town down. They would have, I guess, I they went to Wednesday night church mm-hmm. and then they would make up a big Wednesday dinner at like one o'clock. So his grandmother would go and kill some chickens and then they would have fried chicken for lunch. So that just, yeah, that reminds me so much of stories my dad tells from his childhood. Yes. And he was like, and that was in like the 1950s. So it wasn't, it's it real. hadn't changed. Yes, it hadn't real. changed that much. No. Oh, it's so much humor. Uh, it, uh, I don't know if I can top. <laughs> I can top it. I've already talked about Loma and the journal, but there's, so there's I'm not going to read this quote, but there's this one part that just makes me laugh because it, again, it's just, it's part of, of Southern culture, but it's, uh, he's talking about his grandfather fighting other people and how he would, <laughs> he would stand up at the Wednesday night prayer meeting in the testimonial and confessing part and tell the Lord all about it is what she says. So he gets up and he just confesses for everybody. And of course, that ends up being the fuel, some, some of the gossip in the town. But I just, to me, it just reminded me again of things I have heard, stories of, of people doing, using the Wednesday night, publicly confessing things that just continue to fuel gossip for many years. <laughs> Seems so contrary to I the know. purpose. Yes. <laughs> but I know there was this one part and it was one of this, it was, okay, so this is a quote that he has about morning after his grandmother has died. This is Will Tweedy speaking. But to mourn, that's different. To mourn is to be eaten alive with homesickness for the person. That day I mourned mostly for Granny, who had lost more than any of us, but also for Grandpa, for Mama, and for myself. I didn't want to visit Granny at the cemetery like Grandpa was doing. That was just her empty shell over there. Whereas here, I could touch things she had touched, look out on the flowering plants she had looked at, and walk through her house. I just love that, that he had, he's he's visiting her her home, and just that memory that he has that he's carrying on about his grandmother, and just that line is just, to mourn is to be eaten alive with homesickness 
for the person. I do so love that. There's so so much. There's just a lot in this. So one of the things that Whitney's quote, to give a little background, Grandpa Blakesley is notorious for being extremely frugal and cheap. So (laughs) the pine box, saving the pine box and (laughs) such is because he is not uh, willing to let go of any money. But okay, I want to see the quote about the journal from Loma. Yes, that was really lovely. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Loma, his his aunt, is giving him a journal for his writing. At the top of the page in fancy printing, it said Loma Blakesley Williams, her book. Under that, it said presented to Hoyt Willis Tweedy, July 1906. Do like I say, Will, and when you get famous, don't forget to mention it was your Aunt Loma that pushed you towards your destiny. Bossy, same old bossy, I thought, but I was touched. And all of a sudden, those empty pages were like the siren call I'd heard when I looked up at, up at blind Tilly Trestle and wanted to see how it was up there. I knew I wouldn't write any dang poetry or plays, <laughs> but right that minute, I got the notion I'd like to keep a journal. And he goes on and talks about keeping that journal. And it's just, it's just sweet. It's because of her journal that he writes these things down and he's able to remember all of them. So I just love, I love that little part. But again, it's just, it has so much humor and, and just heartache along with it. Um, I want to just go off. This is going to be spoiler. And I want to go off, off script for a minute, Whitney. And since this was a reread for you and you didn't really know, did you know about Grandpa Blakesley that he was going to die at the end? I was convinced he was going to live. I didn't remember that. But I honestly don't know how it could be any different. Oh, no. His character, he had summed it up so Mm -hmm. well by the end. And I thought, this is Will's story, really. Mm -hmm. Will needs to take it from here Mm -hmm. and go and do, you know, I mean, he's going to carry on in grandpa's footsteps in one way or another because he was so influential. So we'll be able to see maybe, I don't know, I've never read the sequel, but maybe we see a lot of grandpa and Will. And I think that'd be really exciting to be able to see grandpa, you know, what it looks like as a young man. And who is it that tells him? Is it Miss Love that says you remind me so much of your grandfather? Oh, yes. Yes. And I think a lot of people thought that also. Mm -hmm. Um, But definitely Miss Love said that. Mm -hmm. Yes. Which was really sweet because she did love grandpa. So, yeah. And it's funny, too, because. He's following in his grandfather's footsteps. His grandfather is this larger-than-life character. He's really coming into his own throughout the novel. And it's like, that's hard to think, can you fill these shoes? Will you be like this man, who, who great man who has gone before you? So you get a little bit of that as you're reading the book as well. So it, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> it is a great story to read. So yeah. the humor of the first 300 pages, mm-hmm. you probably won't forget that. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. And then it just goes on and it just weaves in that just a tiny bit of, of heartache within it, but beautifully, beautifully done. Great. If you need something, you just need that humor, but you don't want something that's just trite. This is a great. Or something that's all fluff. This book yes, is not, not all fluff. fluff. No, exactly. Uh-huh. There's a point to all of it for right. sure. Yeah. Yes, which I love. I love that you can bring that in, that it, it's in a way, this is so so counterintuitive but it's it, it's not taking humor lightly and it's, it's showing the um the the place and the worth of humor in life so it's it's just very very well done 
And I just wish we had lived, she had lived longer to write more, like yes. I said. Mm-hmm. All right, Whitney, we are nearing the end of the episode where I usually do my quick round of literary questions. And we did that when we did the Dean's Watch episode together. But I have a new question to ask and one of the old ones before we go. So, Whitney, if you were stranded on a desert island, which five books would you miss most? Not the books you can take, but the books you would miss. Well, I do have to say the first time I read that question, I skimmed it. And that should have been a good lesson for me because I skimmed it and was thinking, what five books would I take? Yeah. And I had a great list ready. And then I read the question again and said, oh, no, that's not at all what she asked. And now I don't have a list. And, and my list is different now. So it was interesting to think about it both ways, what to take and what I would miss. I would definitely miss the Bible and the mm-hmm. daily office. Those are books that I read every Mm -hmm. single day. I would miss those. I would miss my cookbooks. (laughs) I look at my cookbooks all the time. I think I would really want to cook on a desert island and not be able to. think about food a lot. Yes, I would. (laughs) Um, I would also miss the Dean's Watch, of course. I was trying to look at it as which books would I be sad never to read again. Mm -hmm. And of course, that would be one of them. Mm -hmm. And then the last one is I have a really big dictionary that I love. And I look at it every week, multiple times a week. I would miss my dictionary. (laughs) (laughs) I love that you said dictionary because I love dictionaries too, Whitney. And I used to, as a teenager, had to have my dictionary handy. And I have my grandfather, my maternal grandfather, used to read the dictionary for fun. So oh, it has so a special cute. place yes. in my heart. This dictionary my grandmother gave me for my high school graduation. And it's huge. It's also a thesaurus yeah. and everything like that. And so I took it in my classroom with me. And I taught second grade for a few years. And this big dictionary sat on the shelf. We had a whole bunch of those little student dictionaries that are small. And every day, without fail, someone would say, my word's not in the little dictionary. Can I please use the magic dictionary? And so that became the magic dictionary. And I still use it every week for sure. Yes. Oh, Oh, that is so dear. And I also love cookbooks. My mom used to check out cookbooks when she was a young mom. She would go to the library. We lived in Mississippi at the time. And she would go and just check out cookbooks and read them. And I have a I have a small collection of cookbooks, but I also very much have my certain ones that I like to refer to. And you find yourself, a lot of times you go to look up a recipe and then you find yourself just looking through the beautiful pictures mm-hmm. and yeah. salivating and all planning all the things you want to make. Yep. Oh, such great fun. I love I that. I have three cookbooks on hold at the library right now. <laughs> so I have your mother's heart, I think. <laughs> what are your cookbooks that you, you especially love? I use a lot the Magnolia Table cookbooks by Joanna Gaines. I don't follow her in particular, but I do like her cookbooks. And then in the summer, I use the Food in Jars cookbook by Larissa McClellan to can. She has Mm -hmm. a lot of good recipes. So those are the ones that I use a lot. But I have some others. One's called Ripe Figs, and it's Mediterranean food. It's really lovely. Um, I, I do use that quite a bit, too. So I have a handful that I do love to look through. I, yes. I'm going to have to look up ripe figs because yeah. we both love, my husband and I both love Mediterranean food. So that sounds delicious. Yes. <laughs> I love, there are Ina Garten cookbooks I do love. And then there's a Back in the Day Bakery cookbook from the Back in the Day Bakery in Savannah. But also um, Ruth Reichel, I'm not sure if I'm saying her name 
correctly, so please forgive me if not. She had a cookbook that came out a few years ago, and it was after she lost her job at, I think, was it Gourmet? Um, and she had a whole year where she cooked and kind of helped her get over the, gr the grief of losing that job. And her quiche I make all the time and her banana bread. <laughs> so those are two, my, two of my go-to recipes from that cookbook. And I, I love it. Whitney, I'm also curious, what were the five books that you said you would take on a desert island when you read the question the first time? Yes. I and I have to tell you, I asked a lot of people that question too. <laughs> I wanted to know what they would take. I would take with me um, the Bible and the daily office for sure. Mm -hmm. I have a Jane Austen, Austen compendium that I have not read all of her novels yet. So I would have time to read them, yes. I think. Um, I would take a poetry anthology oh. just so I could ponder mm -hmm. and sort and try to make sense of some of these beautiful mm -hmm. poems with all of my free time. Yes. And then um, the last one I struggled with, but I settled on finally a book of masterpieces so that I, it could be from any museum. I don't have a particular artist, but something beautiful to ponder, I think would be a good use of time. So that's what I finally decided on. Yes. Whitney, I love that answer too. I love that you included the poetry, but I really love that you included the masterpieces because it is important to have that beauty with us. I mean, it will be Surely it would be beautiful on a desert island, but to see the creation of these artists would be to be reminded of it and not forget that it would just be such a comfort. Mm -hmm. I could also oh. practice drawing, yes. maybe. Yes, in the sand. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and I want to know which Jane Austen novels you haven't read. Um, well, I'm reading right now Persuasion. I had not read that yet, but I'm going to read it with a few ladies, so that's exciting. I can't remember which other one. There's another one I haven't read. Was it Mansfield Park? I read that. I, okay. I did not really love it. Northanger Abbey. We did yeah, read that. We Maybe didn't. I'm only missing just Persuasion. Maybe so. Wow. That's exciting. You read so Sense and Sensibility. Yes. And, and Pride Emma. And yes, and Pride and Prejudice. Then it's then maybe I don't need to bring it and I could pick something else. <laughs> and which is your favorite of Jane Austen novels so far? I I would probably have to say Emma. Wow. I I just do love that story in general. So, and Mr. Yeah. Knightley. He's my favorite. Yeah. I know everyone loves mm -hmm. Mr. Darcy. And I also love Mr. Darcy. I have never, reading Pride and Prejudice, I never thought I would have be attracted to Mr. Darcy. Mr. Knightley, I'm like, I would marry this man. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So fast. I have a Mr. Knightley, but I he also <laughs> is a lovely Mr. Knightley yes. to read about. Yes. Yes, uh -huh. exactly. Yeah. Oh, that's so fun, Whitney. Okay, Whitney, for the last question, do you have any book recommendations to share? And I am eager to hear them. <laughs> well, the first one, I'm. it's kind of a question mark if I would recommend oh, it. Okay. I'm not sure. So maybe you can read it and let me know. I've recently read A Passage to India. I wanted to ask have you me, about it. Yeah. I have not read it. Okay. <laughs> yes. I I think it's worth reading for sure. Okay. I have not read a lot of British occupied India novels. Okay. And I know there are so many, but I just haven't read a lot of them. This one was really interesting to read because the the main idea of the plot is that an Indian man is accused, well, falsely accused of assaulting an English woman. Oh. And it's a very bizarre turn of events once that 
supposedly happens. Um, I didn't see it coming, nor did I know that that was the climax of the story. And so uh, Forrester writes in a very Mm -hmm. interesting way. It's a little bit sparse, Mm -hmm. but it is definitely one to read with a group of people Mm -hmm. to discuss Uh, all of the nuances Mm -hmm. of that culture. It's a similar culture to any group of people Mm -hmm. that has been oppressed in any way. so I, that, that's a question. I think to yeah. read it, I would not reread it, okay. but maybe just one time and mm-hmm. see what you think of it. Yeah. Okay. My other recommendation is Death Comes for the Archbishop by Willa Cather. Have you read that? No, oh. no, but I wanted to. I have, I've had friends who read it and loved it. So I want to hear what you thought about it. Well, if E.M. Forster was a little sparse, she is a lot <laughs> sparse. So, um, but it's about the life of a young priest sent to New Mexico in the 1850s. Mm-hmm. And we have to, as the reader, put a lot of plot points mm-hmm. together. But the main character is developed in such a way that by the end, when death does come for this archbishop, we feel like the earth has lost a precious oh. soul. So oh. she develops him in a a very lovely way that you know that you would miss mm-hmm. him if you were sitting right there mm-hmm. and he died. So I would definitely recommend that mm-hmm. one as well. Yeah, that seems more like, it, for some reason, it's kind of a winter book. Maybe mm-hmm. it's because of the way her style. I mean, the, I don't know, the setting is not a wintry setting right. by any means, but there's something about it that it's like there are no leaves on the trees or something yeah. while, while you're reading it, that type of book. But, yeah. yeah, especially if you're thinking about death, you are thinking mm-hmm. about it would be kind of wintry right. within that. I know I was went to the well-read mom meeting about it, but I wasn't able to read it. And I was so disappointed because I read a lot of Willa Cather when I came back from La Brie in 2003. And one of her books, and I cannot remember the title, and I wish I could. It was about a young man. I will, I don't know if it was Canada. I don't think it was Canada. I think it was the U.S. who went over to World War One. Okay. So you get the whole story of him entering World War One, and it ends very sadly and very abruptly. That's Did the you way ever she read writes. it? I have not read it, but that's the way she writes. And it was, yeah. and I, it has stuck with me. This is twenty years ago, mm-hmm. but I still remember aspects of that novel so clearly. It's clear as when I read it, because I don't know some with her, the way of writing her way of writing it, it just pierces, right. <laughs> pierces into your mind and into your soul. So she's a very, very gifted writer. I think that's Sacred Unset, one of my favorite. I know. You know what I'm crazy yes. about? Yes. Kristen Lauren's daughter. But I think that they had a correspondence friendship. Oh, interesting. I believe I could be wrong on that, but I need to double check. I believe that. Uh, Marjorie Kinnan Rawlings, I know for sure. And um, I think Willa Cather both corresponded with her. So I want to go back and reread some of Willa Cather's work. And I read a lot of her short stories at the time. I just, I don't know what, I just went on a binge of Willa Cather. And, but Death Comes for the Archbishop was not one of them, but it is on my bookshelf. Yes, it won't take you long to read yeah, it. Yeah, that's it's, what I've yeah, heard. Yeah. And then the passage to India, I'm so interested because when I was a young teenager, not young teenager, when I was a teenager, I loved Room with a View by Ian Forster. The movie, I read the book. The book was, I think, a little over my head at the time, just his writing style. So I know that the directors, the, the duo, Merchant Ivory, directed Room with a View, and I believe they did a passage to India as well. So they, they made beautiful movies. So it was not one that I saw, but it was on a list just because... I appreciated um, 
room with a view so much. So what made you read Passage to India? Well, there was a small group of ladies that wanted to read a book yeah. together, and um, our friend just picked it. And okay. she said it's been on every list she's ever seen of 100 books really? to read before you die, that kind yeah. of a list, you know. Yeah. So, and none of us had read it. We said, let's do it. So, oh. and I'm glad we did. Okay. Yeah, it, it really is worth discussing with someone okay. else, definitely. Yeah. Mm. Did anyone really love it? Love would not be a word. Anybody okay, you used? couldn't use no. it. <laughs> We were glad we'd read, read it, it, but yeah. nobody fell in love with it. Okay. There's not really any character to fall in love with oh. either. Um, That's so hard. That is hard, but it's not required, right? Yeah. There's something to those stories still. There's okay. still something they can offer, at least to discuss and yeah. maybe try to work out in our minds or something. Yeah. So it wasn't a waste for yeah. sure. Okay. So I'll add it to the list, but I'll wait until yes. I get some other books off the okay. list. <laughs> But death comes for the archbishop. I will have to move up higher on the list. Well, Whitney, this has been an absolute delight as always. I just love discussing books with you. You have such amazing insight into into every every time that Whitney talks about books, she just has such spot on insight. So thank thank you. you so much, Whitney. I have enjoyed this as usual. Thank you for having me. It was a delight. Thank yes. you. And we'll do it again. Good. Very good. <laughs> well, that's all for this week. I may be taking a short break in September. We have a lot of traveling coming up. So right now I'm planning to be back mid-September. There's always the small chance that I may be back sooner. So keep checking. Hopefully all will work out that I am able to keep on my regular podcast schedule. But if not, it is only because of a bit of traveling that we have coming up. In the meantime, if you would like to connect, you can find me at a wellreadlife.com. And I would love to hear from you. Please email me at beth at a wellreadlife.com. I would love to discuss books with you. And if I'm ever late in responding, please know it's only just a little bit of busyness with being a mom of a four-year-old, but I will get back to you. And it means the world to me to get those emails. I got one recently from a listener and I was, it just made my day. It was what I needed. And I just relish those conversations. You can also find me on Instagram at wellreadbeth. I am not on it very often, but you can always leave a DM and I will do my best to get back to you. The best way would probably be through email. Well, happy reading. Until next time. 